Hello everyone, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's show is a football exclusive show. We're going to talk to Ryan Souls about the NFL Divisional Playoff Round preview all four of those games and make our predictions for the NFL Hall of Fame class, 15 finalists, and we're going to tell you which six we would choose. All that and more with the Soul Man. But first, Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg are going to help me say goodbye to the college football season. 2016 in the books, Clemson's the national champs. We'll recap that epic game and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, two of my favorite guests, Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg. And we're going to recap college football. The season's over, unfortunately. 2016 in the books. National title game is finished. But I want to introduce you guys, Matt Wittenberg, Sean Sullivan. First time we've done this. We've had a lot of episodes. But Sully's calling in remote, and Wittenberg is here. So, guys, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Wish you were here with us, Sully. <laughs> What's up, man? Nothing much, dude. Just uh, out here in Tennessee. About to go to the divisional round uh, Seahawks Falcons game on Saturday, so uh, I'm pretty sad. That was uh, that was just my test to see who was going to jump first with the good for having me, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where that goes first. But I do want to get both your thoughts on the game that is going to go down in the record books. Certainly one of the more interesting title games we've ever seen. Clemson is your national champion. They beat Alabama 35-31, to 21 points in the fourth quarter, only led the game for one second. It was on the final touchdown. It's the second that mattered. The second that mattered, Watson. Watson finding Hunter Renfro for the game-winning touchdown. And Sully, I'll let you lead it off because you're one of the guys, one of the few guys I know that doesn't really believe in the whole conference pride thing at all. You were vehemently against Alabama in this game. and. Oh, yeah. For the most part, it looked like we were going to watch Saban win another title, but Clemson, making the plays when it mattered, gets the job done. I know. It's just, we, were, we were sitting there texting back and forth during the game, and we kept on saying, all right, here we go. Here comes Bama. Here comes the cross pod where they're, where they're going to put on 10 points, and they're going to keep on piling on. Here comes the defense. They're going to shut down Watson. But that, that point never came. Give credit to Clemson because those guys never gave up. They were down 10 points going in the fourth quarter and were able to score 21 points. It was one of the better performances in college football, play, or playoff history. I'm not only playoff history, but history in general for that offense to be able to do it against that defense. So many stars. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was really insane to see that Clemson program do it against uh, the Death Star, as it were, for college football. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of take into account for a game like this. But wait, I'll look at it like this. I, I'm not surprised that as much that Watson had the game of his life. I'm surprised that they were able to spread it out. Four receivers each, 90 yards. It wasn't just the Williams show. Mike Williams was amazing. Mm. But Renfro, Williams, they spread it out. The running game wasn't there. And they were yeah, still they able four, to go four or five guys over 90 yards. It was, it was ridiculous. And, and I look at it from, another, from a lot of different ways. But... And I'll ask you this, Whit. When it got to the fourth quarter, did you think Clemson took that game, or was it more shocking to see Alabama kind of let them? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, for sure. Clemson, or Alabama's defense, rather, was just on the field so much that you felt that that sort of took 
its toll on them near the end of the game. Just the offense's real inability to keep the clock running, to pick up first downs consistently. And uh, Watson, as you said, had the game of his life. He had a game of his life last year against them in the title game as well. It just came up a little bit short. And he has the two uh, highest passing games in uh, college football championship history now, 400-plus yards both times. So, yeah, it was definitely a little bit of both. And obviously... With the weapons around him, that's what you need in order to take advantage of that defense. You can't key in on one guy. And, yeah, they made Alabama pay for staying on the field for way too long. It was crazy. It was almost the reverse crockpot, Sully, in that Alabama started off so hot. I mean, you could not script a worse start for Clemson to this football game. They were turning the ball over. Watson didn't look like himself. The line was having a hard time blocking. They were making dumb penalties. What was it about the start of the game? Do you think Clemson just wasn't quite ready? Or do you think Bama yeah. kind of came juiced uh, right from the beginning? I uh, tweeted out early on that Clemson was kind of like the kid on Christmas where they were so excited to be there. Yeah. They really mm-hmm. wanted that game. And Bama was just that machine where you could tell they'd been there. They were just even killed. Their, their demeanor on the field was just 100 miles an hour. I'm going to stick you in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Where Clemson was just a little, a little shaky. You could tell with Watson's play early, a lot of people jumped on him, and I think that's why uh, a lot of people were calling the game early because they didn't think Watson, they thought Watson's play was going to continue towards a negative downturn, but i got to give him credit to be able to, and the whole team credit to be able to bounce back from that slow start. Yeah. Um, and, and it really happened twice. You know, it was kind of a tale of two halves. But you got to remember, they started out that second half with, with a almost potential scooping score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and it could have easily started. I was, that's the point where I, I texted you. I was like, all right, this, this game's over. Yeah, we both, we, both, out, <laughs> we both called it twice, and it wasn't to be the case. Yeah, but I think there was exactly. some reverse jinxing in there, too. I think we were really trying to get Clemson into it in our own way. No and and no I'll doubt. say this, too. This was also, maybe this is a factor as well. Clemson, this was the first time and really the only time all year where they went from hunter to hunt they went from hunted to the hunter. So all year they had the X on their back with everybody they played except Alabama. It's the first time all year they went new game as the underdog, as the team that people were unanimously picking against, trying to quote unquote shock the world. So I did think they came out a little too amped up and I think that played a factor, but here's another thing I'll say with to come out, Alabama had the great game plan, they were gonna take play the field position game. That was one of the first things that Dabo Sweeney said that they were getting beat on in his halftime interview. Bo Scarborough had one of the best halves of football. It's a shame that he got hurt, but him in the first half showed you why Alabama put all their faith in him. Yeah, I feel like that was largely going to be their game plan is give it to uh, big old Bo and uh, let him win the game for you. You could tell that Jalen Hurts was definitely not accurate on his throws. Most of his yards coming on that big play to O.J. Howard with the broken Clemson coverage. So you knew that they were going to try and run the ball. And obviously, Bo Scarborough had a monster game against Washington in the semifinal before. So no reason. if it Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And yeah, that really took the wind out of their sails with him going down. And unfortunately, Hertz wasn't able to make up for it with his arm. Did with his legs and almost won the game with his legs for them. But just, yeah, not enough against that offense they were playing yeah, 16 carries, 93 yards, two touchdowns for Bo Scarborough as I sit here chatting with Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg on the Money Mitch Effect. 
And Sully, I'll throw it to you now. I don't want to come off as taking anything away from Clemson whatsoever. But I think it's a fair question to wonder what happens in this game if Bo Scarborough plays all four quarters and doesn't break a bone in his leg. Yeah, I think that we're, we're talking about Bama winning their 17th. It's a completely different ball game from an offensive standpoint. Kind of takes takes the pressure off of Sarkeesian a little bit because mm-hmm. you got the beast in the backfield and you're just going to keep seeing it. And, and he uh, was a beast. There's no better way to describe him. <laughs> he's a beast, exactly. And it's, it, he's the prototypical Bama running back. Uh, you, you got, it seems like, the same guy in the backfield for the past decade. <laughs> And they have another one coming in, number one overall running back, <laughs> Najee Harris next year. Where, I mean, what are they feeding these guys? I don't, okay, so I, I, still, yeah, I still can't find Bo Scarborough's birthday online. I'm still, I'm still looking for, no, some, for his birthday. He's, 20, he's 27. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a Terminator slash Westworld type, whatever you want to call it. Like, Saban just has yeah. these run, has this running back portal where he can just build up these, these freaks to, to run know. the football. But, I mean, to be fair... They're growing, you can, they're growing on trees for him. It's unreal. Like, it's, you're right. It's Westworld. He's, he's, he's literally... He's got a, a secret lab underneath Brian Denny Stadium where he's genetically engineering these machines that he's putting at running back. It's unbelievable. Right. And we uh, and we had joked about that, too, uh, about that also. You could say maybe Clemson has the same thing with wide receivers. So it's part joke but part just serious yeah. on how great these schools are at recruiting certain positions. But when the game went to halftime, and I do agree with you, we could very well be talking about Scarborough if he and Bama if Scarborough would not have gotten hurt. But we joked at halftime what Saban's like in that locker room and he's not thrilled, whether it was, you know, let off a wild animal or get the cattle <laughs> prod out. But he knew, that, he knew that it wasn't, you know, all gravy. I think Saban before, and another reason why he's a great coach, I think he knew that the second half was going to be a real challenge. Yeah, no doubt about it, and, and he didn't have, he knew he knew Clemson and Dabo were going to make a run for it. He also knew that he didn't have his go-to guy all season and, and up in the booth calling plays with Lane Kiffin. I think that made a big impact on uh, what Alabama could do offensively, especially when they lost to Bell Cow in the backfield. Well, I mean, what, what, what do you guys think really was the impact? And was, was it a big impact? What, what was the bigger impact? Lowe's Garber not having Lane Kiffin, I think they're, they're both pretty – I think Scarborough's injury for sure. I mean, I feel like Sarkeesian had been with the team. I know with a freshman quarterback, you love to have as much continuity as possible. And I'm sure it played Uh into Jalen Hurts' head a little bit, not having his play caller, who's been on the sideline with him all season long, all summer long, ever since he's gotten recruited there. I mean, you can't deny that it had some sort of impact, but I feel like the game plan would have been Roughly the same, regardless of who mm-hmm. was calling the plays, if it was Sark or Kiffin. But just, yeah, too much to overcome with Scarborough's injury. I think it's fair to go to Scarborough first because he had been playing so well that you just naturally assume. And that might not have been the case. Clemson might have been able to slow him down. They might have been able to make the plays that they did if he was in there. The defense picked up steam as the, halves, as the second half progressed. But I do think... It's fair to look at that dynamic because Scarkeesian, for as good of a coordinator as he's been in the past, and his you know some success at head coach, he is thrust into a position that really no one's ever been thrust in. Call plays now for the first game all season in the national title game, and the closest thing to yeah. it, the closest thing to it was actually my Tennessee Volunteers in 1998 when David Cutcliffe accepted the job at Ole Miss, 
Randy Sanders had the quarterbacks coach actually had to step up and call plays right. for the national title. The, the difference was he had a month to prepare. This was one week. I know one one week. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I do think that I, I do think that there was some staleness, some ultra conservativeness to Alabama's play calls, more than just Scarborough going down. They were, you know, and I, and I remember hearing Kirk Herbstreit say on the on the double pass that they were saving some plays, but it gets to a point where what are you saving them for? Like, what you really want to test the, the waters? It's like holding your timeouts till the till the off season. I mean, you, you right. don't want to do that. That offense went into a shell. And it did. I heard multiple people say that you know Kiffin, and I have to agree with them that Kiffin called a pretty terrible game in the Peach Bowl, but well, Sarkeesian was, was even worse. <laughs> yeah, I think he had checked but out that, already. I think he there there. The more I'm reading, the more I'm hearing is that there was stuff behind the scenes that had caused that directly he wasn't you know attending his meetings as long as he had been but and i'm not a wayne kiffin defender by any stretch of the imagination are you saying he should have taken more shots in, during the game <laughs> yeah well maybe uh, down yeah. the field I'm, yeah I, I think that's fair but i <laughs> but i also think that one of the things with kiffin last year in the game against clemson he put together and called one of the best drives to put that game away when they were only up a field goal mm-hmm. with like five, six minutes left, a long drive mixing it up. I just don't think Sark did that enough. You can point to injuries, but when, as you know, injuries are part of football. You can't just blame it on one guy getting hurt. No, it's true. Obviously, he was a huge component of their game plan, but I want to point to uh, last season real quick, too, because they had a similar situation with their uh, defensive coordinator, Kirby Smart, taking the uh, Georgia job and finishing out the championship run right. with Alabama. Obviously, defense to offense, you get a little bit of different variables going on, but, I yeah. mean, it's not something that they hadn't dealt with necessarily, but... Well, I think the difference is smart's a professional and Lane's a child. <laughs> hey, that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty much what it came down to, is that one guy could, could do his job and balance both hats and mm. would put the team ahead. And I don't, and we're not there. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. Might not be too far from the truth. <laughs> it no, I, I could see it. It does no. look different. But I do want to get back to the Clemson side of things, Sully. The biggest thing when you look at the box score of this game, I know it doesn't always tell the whole story. So Wayne Gallman runs the ball 18 times for 46 yards and a touchdown. Not really a great game. But Watson threw the ball 56 times. 423 touchdowns, and he ran it another 21 times. Only got two yards a pop, ran one in. But that tells me, 77 plays, Sully, they had the ball in Watson's hands. I think Davo Sweeney knew, win or lose, we're going to do it. This game is going to go through and be because of Deshaun Watson. It has to be one of the greatest performances in Tallow game history. I mean, we've gotten Mm -hmm. into a little argument now after this game with the fallout, breaking it down between this game in the 2006 Rose Bowl mm-hmm. with Vince Young. And those right. two performances are very, very similar. Obviously, Watson had way more through the air, and Young had way more on the ground. But, yeah, uh, and one more touchdown. But, wow, what a performance by Deshaun Watson. And that is what I would have done if I was I was sitting in Davos Sweeney's seat. Like, this is <laughs> ride, ride the horse that got you there. Yeah. And that guy, and, and that, that's exactly what they did. And you got to give a lot of credit to the kid. As I said earlier, started out slow. Everybody on social media was already jumping on him. <laughs> yeah. But he, he was able to settle in the game, very mature of him, huge poise, and you saw that poise exude from him later on in the game, on those huge drives, trusting his players, throwing it up to Mike Williams down the field, 
What a game for Michael Williams. Oh, Williams is a, is a monster. I mean, and I don't want to fall victim. Monster. I don't want to fall victim into the oh, one great game as great as the college game <laughs> is. It's going to make you a draft pick. Yeah, yeah, I, think, I, think, I think Watson, we might start to see people, fans say, oh, this is definitely an NFL quarterback. Well, we're not sure yet. He looks like he could have a career. But Williams is the closest right. thing to a sure thing I that see. we can look at right now. First year see him off the board, no all doubt. All buddies that are huge Titans fans were on Twitter oh, last yeah. night, and we're, we're, we're five. calling it Mike <laughs> in parentheses, future Titan Williams. <laughs> Titans? Or they're going to take him at, take him at five. Oh, you know, that's... Like that, with that pick that they that, have. That would be a yeah. great pick. Mariota to Williams? Oof, gosh. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm excited just thinking all about it. All the hard hits, it was hilarious. They were crying over the hard hits <laughs> that they was going to put on. I'm like, please, not the head. Anywhere, anywhere else. Well... And, and I joked about that. I joked about that too. It was almost like Alabama knows it's not a terrible strategy. It's a very unethical, dirty strategy. But let's just say uh-huh. that they have these five-star recruits on their bench. Okay, we'll throw a couple headshots. You might get kicked out, but take out their best player, and we'll see what happens. It just seems like that's and, and kind you're of you're putting <laughs> the pressure on the ref too, because you, you know they're going to lean towards the, the side of, of letting it go because mm. it's such a big game into the season. I mean, the suspension is nothing at this point. Suspension is a senior. Like, what are you going to do? Suspension so, going to like, the NFL. Early, early on, those hits, yeah, exactly. Early on, those hits, straight to the head to Watson, straight to the head to Mike Williams. You're going to hold him. You're right. It was like, these guys are out for blood today, and they know, I mean, you really can't hate them for it. Not exactly unethical. I, I mean, I would probably do the same thing. No, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to balance that, especially when all the stakes are at their all absolute highest. Especially but, when you have Darth Vader as your coach. I mean, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have, have a little unethical. Um, I mean, yeah, well, hey, we were, we were all pleased with the outcome with Clemson's comeback and win, but I want to throw this to you, Matt. Alabama, one of the most unforgotten parts of this game is going to be the drive that took the lead late. When Clemson oh, took the lead, you didn't know if Bama was done then. There's a couple plays Jalen Hurts made. I know he wasn't accurate for a lot of the game, but the third down play to me on third and 17, avoiding the rush, making a play to get to fourth and one, and then calmly navigating through the defense, getting the running touchdown. I know it hurts. He didn't win a title, but he played about as consistent of a year as a freshman quarterback could at that level, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. There's, You know there's plenty of room for growth. Obviously, no freshman quarterback's going to be perfect and that drive was that was like a senior laid led drive eerily similar to Watson obviously Watson was a junior but just the way that he was able to command the pocket and then I think his pocket presence was absolutely phenomenal on that drive and you had the double pass play too so a lot of moving parts for a freshman to handle and that big run that he scored on was huge I think he barely got touched on it so yeah it's gonna hurt him all through the offseason but a whole off season with Sark, he's going to be motivated. He's going to only get better. So, I mean, this is still probably the preseason number one going into next year. I mean, why would you expect anything different? I mean, that's the thing. How bad can we really feel for Alabama? Oh, Saban didn't get his sixth title, and you know <laughs> they're going to be right back in the I feel top five next no year. No remorse for these guys. <laughs> Zero. One <laughs> of what am I glad he's. It was actually in Tuscaloosa, and he was sending me Snapchats live, recording live from a Bama bar. I was packed with students. And at one point, on the big third down in the second half, three quarters of the bar wasn't even watching the game. They have no idea what they have down there. It's, it, yeah. it, it infuriates me what their fan base has. 
And they're just going to come right back. They're reloaded, replacing five stars with five stars across the board. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. They're going to be number one. And Clemson just pokes the bear. Yeah. Like, Saban is absolutely angry. It is, it is a stick of burrow in his saddle that they just lost this game, and they're going to be absolutely motivated yeah, next be year to get out for blood it's, every it's game. Gonna be, it's going to be scary. Well, and I, and I saw a Pray for Bama hashtag. I wanted to throw my computer into the oncoming traffic. <laughs> and, and just honestly, like it's it's almost like Bama fans and, and even players to some extent think that the title game is like a participation trophy. Like you can't win yeah. it every year. Like you literally cannot. There, it's you the Bama Invitational. You know. Yeah, it's it really has been in the last couple of years, which is scary. So hey, but getting back to Clemson, final drive of the game, and Wit, they go down. I do want to touch on one thing first. If Bama would have won this game, even if it had gone to overtime, I think a lot of people would have thought, myself included, kind of some curious clock management. I thought Clemson decided to kind of play that thing all the way down to the end. I don't know how you feel. I was a little, it was a little curious to me. Yeah, hey, when they let the clock run down, they take that pass to Renfro. I mean, if he doesn't get in or if that ball gets intercepted, then you're looking at Dabo, and he's getting a whole bunch of heat for it. Yeah, definitely. Calculated risk, obviously paid off, and I mean, hey, more power to him for having the stones to do it and let the clock run all the way down. I mean, I'm not sure how I would have played that being in that situation. It's more to me, too, the timeout decisions. Like, they didn't call it early enough. I know that they were thinking, all right, this is it for us, obviously. You know, but if it feels like ties, you think maybe you call it earlier when you get a first down in college with with the moving of the chains. But I thought I was curious, but... You know, they did make the plays, and Sully, we had that discussion. When, when they got down there, I said at the time, in real time, and Sully's my witness on this, if I'm Bama, why don't you just tackle every receiver? Because the worst thing that can happen is... I heard a revolver today that made a lot of sense. Okay, no, that was, I mean, that was my real-time reaction. I can be persuaded, so, I mean, that's just... No, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you 100% on that. I'm still, I'm still making the move, but I heard the one revolver that makes sense that I heard today about that was that... Watson could have ran it in at that point. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're tackling the wide receiver there on the edge when he's rolling out to the right, yeah, you're you're pretty much taking yourself sure. out of the play. You're blocking yourself. Yeah. Um, sure. So yeah, he he could have ran it in, and, and the linebacker kind of had an angle on him. I still would have had money on Watson one on one to make that make that play to run it in, but I still have held him, grabbed him, just hugged him essentially. Yeah. Whatever. Keep him out of the end zone. Right. right off the line. And you know, and I, I heard another. Res- uh, better course of action than tapping receivers. It was the old Buddy Ryan defense where he actually diagrammed this in an old playbook. Just put thirteen guys on the field. <laughs> just you know, yeah. what's the worst that happens there? You know, so um, and I thought just the time on the clock. Obviously, it'd be an automatic first down again. But when you only have time for one play after, they really did run it down. But look, guys, Clemson wins. Watson to Renfro, and how good. You know, we talk about a lot of guys to feel good for. Watson, Dabo Sweeney, a coach that has his ring. Hunter Renfro was a walk-on. This mm-hmm. is a kid that didn't have a scholarship until recently. And he makes the biggest catch of his life, one of the biggest catches in college football history. Oh, no doubt. A play that also gets lost in the shuffle is on that potential Bama scoop and score. He's the guy who made the tackle. So wow. an all-around, all-star wow. effort from Hunter Renfro in this game. And you see on Twitter, as soon as he catches that game-winning touchdown, like, Renfro to the Patriots starts tw- trending, so I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll see come uh, well, next year's well, I, draft if he ends up there. Renfro, with, McCaffrey, yeah. they're going to have their hands full at uh, 32. 
But yeah, you can't yeah. you can't say enough good things about him. Just guys all around great football player. I mean, can't use any of the generic adjectives on him. I mean, he played his ass off. Watson was looking for him like as his constant security blanket if he wasn't taking deep shots up to Mike Williams, it was going to Renfro underneath. I mean, hey. He just did another game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, I he's, wanted to avoid those. Coach's he's, son. Jim uh, Rapp. He's, he's a coach's son. Yeah, yeah. yeah deceptively fast Renfro with the win. But, no, he was he was yeah. great all game. He kept getting open. Watson spreading it out as a testament to his decision-making. He could have just chucked it up. Williams could have easily had over 150, 200 yards receiving. But the Clemson offense would not have been as effective. And I do want to end with, well, partially end with Dabo Sweeney. This is a a pretty colorful, wonderful guy. He's the opposite of a lot of college football coaches. He preaches love. He doesn't curse that we know of. But, you know, he did break down. It got emotional. He finally has a ring. He finally has his trophy. And I think... You know, it's good for the game. It's good for him, obviously, to see good people win. And the way the program's going, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. I don't see him going anywhere. Uh, he, he was definitely emotional. Uh, I love seeing that out of a coach. You got to peel back the onion a little bit, too. And he did it against his all of water, which has got to be pretty crazy for him. But, yeah, but the players love him. I've heard they want to run through a brick wall for this guy. And that's the type of player, that's the type of coach I want my kids to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, 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 he's young. They have an absolute stud recruiting class coming in next year. They're stealing, I'm pretty sore about it, but they're stealing, uh, the, I'm, I hate to tell you guys too, uh, uh, they're stealing a five star and a four star out of Knoxville. Both wide receivers, mm. so wide receiver U Clemson is going to continue. And yeah, they're, they're, they're going nowhere. Uh, it's to be them in Bama. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back and forth for titles here for a few years. It's it's fun to see some new blood, some fresh meat at the top. Clemson is the champs. Hats off to them. You know as soon as Nick Saban retires, that's the very first call that they're making is to Dabo. Hey, you want to come back and uh, coach the old alma mater? And I mean, they'll back Mm -hmm. up the truck to try and get him, so we'll we'll see. We're also assuming that Saban retires and that he's human and he's not going to live to be 170. He may go another 50, 60 years for all we know. Yeah. He might be a vampire. I don't know. Saban's a vampire. (laughs) So that's the title game. I guess the only other thing to talk about was all those ridiculous reviews and the protein referee. Biceps ref, yeah. yeah. I mean, what, how could you let a title game get in the way of trap day? So, <laughs> that's all I'll say. <laughs> hey, you got to get it in when you can. You do. Busy schedule. National TV, national TV pose down, of course. Well, I do want to wrap this with a little look ahead to uh, next year with Woo! what we're seeing. And, you know, USC actually finished with in the top five. They finished number three in the mm-hmm. country this year. Clemson, Bama should be good again. Penn State in the Rose Bowl. How do you see it shaping out? Is there any team that you are going to be, say, maybe buying some stock now early going into next year? Uh, yeah, I'll subscribe to my uh, Pac-12 bias here and now. And I got to see them in the Rose Bowl in one of the best games I've ever seen in person or otherwise. And that'd be the Trojans in our backyard here in L.A. It's, I mean, Sam Darnold's a cold-blooded assassin. Redshirt freshman kid just... Oh. Stud. <laughs> yeah. When the pressure's on, talk about, imagine if he was in that game for Bama instead of Jalen Hurts. I mean, what kind of outcome would we have had? But but I digress. I think they're going to be extremely talented. They're going to be expected to win the Pac-12, and uh, it'll be a 
pretty mild upset if they don't make it to the playoff come next season. But there's a lot of good teams. A lot of the blue bloods are ba- blue bloods are back. I'm sorry, Alabama's going to be there. Clemson will still be pretty high up. FSU is going to be great too, and uh, your Buckeyes are going to be probably a top five team headed into next season. Yeah, just don't joke about Donald transferring to Alabama. <laughs> we, we don't need that. It's geez. But all right, Sully, what are your thoughts now on next year's rankings? Some teams. Yeah, uh, that's, there. That, that's pretty much what I was thinking. A lot of the Blue Bloods are going to be there. A lot of the same teams that were at the top of the top of their totem pole towards the end of this season are going to be there. Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield is going to be back for his 57th year. It's <laughs> uh, like JT Barrett. Which is unreal, exactly. It's just crazy how long, how old are those guys. <laughs> DeAndre Francois, the split the Christmas script on LSU. Well, like USC, a lot, of, a lot of young talent on that team. And DeAndre Francois is really good. They lose Dallin Cook, obviously, but they're just restocking and reloading. They're one of those programs. Uh, Penn State, too. Mm-hmm. James Franklin and those guys are rolling. Trace McSwirley, the gunslingers, but nice. Saquon. Uh, Saquon Barkley is, is one of the best tailbacks in the country. Uh, we saw what he did in the Rose Bowl and in the Big Ten title game. Dude's an absolute stud muffin, and I like him in the Heights and Power Race next year. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of the same people, so uh, I better get used to it. Yeah, it, I think it'll be an interesting year, uh, as it always is. There's a lot of returning players. It certainly seems that way. And then, yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe, guys, this season is now over. I'm going to give you each a chance now, starting with Wit, to kind of lament on the season that was. And and also, if you could add one of your favorite bowl se- whatever your favorite bowl season moment was. It, you know, maybe not so much the title game, but mm-hmm. anything that really stuck out in the full bowl season. Oh, man, season went by way too quick. Obviously, a bummer of a season for my alma mater, Arizona State, missing out on a bowl game and having an absolute bottom-tier defense all year. So, I mean, it's only direction take. we can go is up. So, that's it's recruiting season. Hopefully get some good guys committed. Yeah, just look forward to the future. Got former uh, Bama transfer quarterback Blake Barnett coming in to be Ooh. ASU's QB next season. So, we'll see. Anyone who was good enough to get recruited by Saban can't be half too bad. Yeah, best bowl moment, though. I mean, I was there to see it. So, it was the Rose Bowl that last-minute drive by Darnold, that touchdown pass over three guys to Deontay Burnett, and then uh, engineer that interception that led to him engineering the drive to get the winning field goal. Just awe-inspiring stuff. I mean, I'll never forget where I when seeing that. Right. No, it was uh, unbelievable. And Sully, I know that the start of the season was one of your best starts ever. Maybe not so much the ending, though. Roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> Have stayed out in LA because uh, <laughs> when I came, started coming back to games, uh, the season went in the tankers. So evidently, it's me. I'm going to start with awesome. The Hail Mary was absolutely incredible. What a moment that was! That'll that, that'll be the moment that we carry with us. And on, on top of the fact of scoring uh, 28 unanswered points on Florida, that feels really good still. But uh, but yeah, I, I think we uh, we still have a chance to compete for the East next year. Butch Jones is still our coach, unfortunately, so uh, now we're doing But yeah, yeah, we, we got a lot, of, a lot of young talent, just what we do with it. But, uh, best bowl moment, uh, I have to go with, and I was there too, was Derek Barnett beating Reggie White's sack record in the Music City Bowl. That was an absolutely awesome moment for, for Tennessee fans, and to be able to, to, to know that he's, he's such a great guy and, and works his tail off and deserve, deserve the sack record and be able to do it in his hometown with the partisan Tennessee crowd was was a great way to cap off a per- primarily disappointing season, and that, that was really cool. I mean, Reggie White, the, the minister of defense, one of the, one of the greatest players in 
football history, much less Tennessee history. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, for him to be able to beat that in his last collegiate game was, was really cool to see. Right, and you know Butch Jones just owns those middling Big Ten teams in both games. True. Like, yeah, I know. That's what we do. We do nothing better than the beat the Iowa's in the Northwest. You guys winning uh, the East next year, no, Sully? <laughs> I want to see. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow, so Georgia that, wins it. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. So we're, so we're looking at maybe next year who coaches the Tennessee Vols in 2018 is the storyline. Give me Chip Kelly. Yeah, he's still out awful. there. Uh, how much longer is he out there, though? I heard this school in Berkeley might come calling soon. I don't know. Yeah, hey, yeah. West Coast guy. Yeah, we'll see. But He, would, he wouldn't have to move. I mean, that, that, that'd be a win-win for him. Yeah. But, I mean, Short Cal, Uber Cal, right Cal. away. Like, nobody wants to go to Cal. Right. Get out of here. My, uh, my favorite bowl moment in this season was up and down. I, as Ohio State fan, I didn't even really expect them to be in the playoffs, so I know the loss to Clemson was awful, but... For them to even get there was kind of cool. My favorite is a tie probably between the Rose Bowl and that Orange Bowl, just seeing Michigan lose again on a national stage. It's pretty cool. And the worst would be a brutal pick em loss in my pool when big boy Brett Bielema gives up 35 unanswered points. Oh, man, don't remind me about that uh, game. After, oh, yeah. after one of his teammates steals from the Belk store. So. Uh, At the Belk steals. Bowl? So that, uh, yeah, that was probably the low point of... Uh, they gave you a gift card to Belk. Yeah. Buy things at Belk, at the Belk Bowl, and you're stealing from Belk at the Belk Bowl. You literally can't write anything better than that. You couldn't make up that story. No. When I saw that headline, I was like, it's perfect. If and he, not to mention, it's, it's one of their best players, probably the most drafted player on their team. It's no, ridiculous. Yeah. You, can't, you can't pass the Wonderlick test and do things like that. I'm convinced he cheated <laughs> if he passes it. But, but guys, thanks again. Serious no thanks for... All the weeks coming on talking college football it was a, a fun journey on this show, especially. Absolutely. No, 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 man, I appreciate it. Hopefully, keep it going into 2017. Well, yeah, that that's the plan, man. That is always the plan. But for Sean Sullivan, and Matt Wittenberg, you guys, I just want to say thanks. Thanks again for coming on today on the Money Mitch Effect. Really appreciate the time you guys took to chop it up about the college pigskin. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, man. big thanks to Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg and a big thanks to every one of my guests that came on the Money Mitch Effect to talk college football in 2016 and early 2017. It was a star-studded roster that included Joe Crisali, Rob Crowder, Nick Edmonds, Matt Gothard, Sam Haney, John Rydell, and Ron Schultz. That's my team. My team's so good. We don't even need a mascot even when talking college football. But seriously, thanks a lot. It really means a lot that you guys were able to take time to discuss one of the greatest sports in the world. All right, now it's time to talk to Ryan Souls about professional football. We go up a notch to the NFL game, the divisional round weekend. We'll preview all four games on tap, a big one between the Packers and Cowboys to finish us off on Sunday afternoon. And we'll make our NFL Hall of Fame picks, 15 finalists. We'll pick six, our favorite six, to get enshrined this year. Here it is now, Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the line, Money Mitch Effect, it's Ryan Souls back again. Ryan, we're in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and thanks for joining the show. Man, I'm happy to be here. Can you believe uh, time has flown this fast? We're in the divisional round in January already. It seems like the season just started. 
You know, it's pretty crazy that we've got this point of the season, like you said, with, with how fast things have gone by, with all the ups and downs. And at the end of the day, Ryan, we had a wild card weekend that had no upsets. Now, I know Oakland had car go down with the injury. I know there were some other things that surprised us. But, you know, if you would have told me back in August that these were the final eight teams, I don't know how shocked I would have been that most of them are here. No, not at all. I think it was a, uh, surprisingly for the NFL, a pretty chalk playoff setting, I guess, as chalk as it can be. The teams will be expected. You know, I don't know if we necessarily expected some records. You know, we could talk about Dallas. We could talk about Kansas City. But the teams, I think, have been pretty consistent for the most part. Yeah, and I guess I'm looking at Kansas City. You know, maybe Atlanta is a surprising team, but Kansas City, with given how Denver was going to have a setback. A lot of us figured that it wouldn't be they wouldn't be as good. Kansas City makes that move, and really the AFC South, no one really knows what to expect from that division. But there's still some good football left. Three of the four games could be classics. One maybe not so much, but we're going to go right into our preview right now. NFL divisional round on the Money Mitch effect, and the first game of the weekend, and really, as opposed to last week, a game that's got us excited, Ryan, a, a low-key underrated game could actually be game of the week is the Seattle Seahawks going to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Now, can I just say as a prerequisite, I'm so glad from a karma standpoint that this game is being played in Atlanta. The last thing I wanted was that non-called pass interference to determine home field, but these are the two teams that deserve to be here. Here they are. Atlanta's a five-point favorite, Ryan, but are you buying them as a contender in the sense that this is an Atlanta team with a lot of talent, best offense in football, but known for their postseason struggles. They're definitely known for their postseason struggles, but Mitch, I, I think you may agree with me here, and we might be able to go back a couple years, but I think this is the most complete Atlanta Falcons team that we've seen in a while. I agree. And I think that's the reason why they're a five-point favorite. Uh, Seattle, I think, has kind of limped to ten wins, so to speak. They, they put some teams away. They've struggled against other teams, and they're just good enough that so they've gotten 10 wins. I think Atlanta's just playing better football. I think they're really consistent on both sides of the ball. I think Devontae Freeman has had an incredible year. I think Matt Ryan's seven interceptions has really what's been the factor for them this season. And, of course, not to mention uh, Julio Jones over there, who really doesn't get a lot of talk considering how good he is. We talk about uh, Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown as much, and this guy seems to not get the love that he should. So it, it should be a good game, but I think this is the most complete Atlanta, at least the most complete Atlanta postseason team that we've seen in a while. You know, I agree with that. I think defensively they still have their inefficiencies in certain areas, but Dan Quinn has them playing a passionate brand of football, and they're just good enough to complement their lethal offense. And this is also the best, Ryan, I think you'd agree, this is the best that Matt Ryan has looked in his career. He's efficient. You know, he missed Julio Jones for a couple of those games. And I think him playing that well gave the Falcons a lecture of, you know, we can rest him, we can get him fresh for the playoffs. But you have to factor in their two-headed running back monsters of Freeman and Coleman. Both could probably start on their own on a lot of teams. To have two bona fide starters in that sense in the backfield helps. And I think they're a team that's just figured out their identity, figured out how to win in a lot of different ways. You, know, you remember, Ryan, it used to be Matt Ryan going deep is the only way they had a chance to win. If they take the deep ball away, the Falcons can't win. Now that's not the case. They can grind out some football games. And I'm buying them as a 
legit contender not only to win this game, but to go very far. Not saying that the Seahawks are a pushover, but it's a very good team. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the playoffs in the NFL is all about who's hot at the right time. If you heat up in the playoffs, that's even better. If Atlanta wins this game, I think they'll be riding high, and I think Quinn can keep the focus, and Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are seasoned enough veterans uh, if they win this game to not really unravel, but they still got to get past Seattle first. Now, Seattle is an interesting squad this year because I'll never, I mean, I'll always respect the championship heart that they have, their resiliency, their ability to come overcome the odds. It was no more clear than this year with all the injuries they battled, Ryan. But I wonder, especially with that defense, we know about no Earl Thomas. They weren't really tested against Detroit. Stafford didn't have a good game. The Lions' weapons aren't Julio Jones. This is probably going to be the game where they miss them. And I just don't know that they have enough resilience to overcome the talent they're going to face in this game. And I think Pete Carroll might have to change a little bit of the way that he plays defense. And I know in the playoffs, changing is the last thing you want to do. But you might want to get Richard Sherman into some man situations all game where he's playing Julio Jones, following him around the field. Because if you allow him to get going, he will torture you. And Seattle hasn't shown this year that they're a team that can get in a shootout with a team like Atlanta. I think they want to keep the game close as possible. I think if, if you're Pete Carroll, you got to look at put Richard Sherman uh, in some man coverage, maybe uh, Cam Chancellor over the top if you need to. But Julio, Julio Jones cannot beat you. Yeah, although I wonder if you put Sherman man on him. I mean, Sherman is as good as he is. He takes a lot of penalties, Ryan. I think Julio could rack up some yards that way. And again, it goes back to Atlanta maybe not being the one-dimensional team they've been in the past. But... On the other side of the ball, you have Russell Wilson, who's finally fully healthy. And if the Seahawks are going to win this game, Ryan, I think there's no other way around it. Wilson's going to have to be a monster. Oh, absolutely. He's got to be the MVP of the game. I don't know if he's got to get a touchdown with his legs, but he's got to get a fair amount of rushing yards. He's got to pass for at least two touchdowns. And the biggest thing for him, he can't have one of those early starts where he just throws three or four picks and the team is just out of the game and they can't come back. He's, he's got to keep it under control, not turn the ball over, and they'll, they'll be okay. Right, and Atlanta will make them pay for short field. I also think Rawls is a factor. If they can eat up the clock, they don't want to get into that shootout style. They may get C.J. Procise back. He'd be a blessing. We're, we're still waiting on that. But I, I do think there is vulnerabilities in that Atlanta secondary Maybe Doug Baldwin, maybe the recently emerging Paul Richardson. They really do miss Tyler Lockett here. But Jimmy Graham, this could be his game. He's back in NFC South territory. Jimmy Graham really should shine here. He's familiar with the Falcons, obviously under a different regime. But we really haven't seen a breakout game from Jimmy Graham since he's really been a part of the Seahawks. So we, we need to see him return to his Saints glory. So with that, Ryan, I'm going to go Falcons here and... I actually do like them to cover. I'm, I'm buying this team right now, and I think Seattle, the injury, not just the Thomas injury, but multiple injuries, I think they're beat up, and I think they're going to lose this game. I'll say 27-17. Okay, and I, I like Atlanta as well. Uh, it's hard for me to pick against Seattle because I, I, I think Atlanta's a better team, but I still trust Seattle a little more. Right. But I think, it, I think Atlanta's just better at this point, and I think they're playing better. Uh, I don't know if 27, I think 27-17 is a little 
much for me as the playoffs. I think Seattle will do better than a 10-point loss. I like somewhere in the area of 27-20, I don't know if they can score 24 points, but maybe 27-20, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I think we're looking for a good game Saturday to get the playoff atmosphere rolling this weekend. But the evening game, Ryan, the one game that we're not, I, I think I could speak for you in this case, not as excited for this weekend, Patriots hosting the Texans. Can you, um, can you remember a time in the divisional round where a team coming off a win is pretty much realized, self-aware that they have no chance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that's kind of sad because this team... New England is just such a juggernaut, but when you play football and it's such a mental manipulation type game where you are, you're already coming to a battle, you know, with a losing mentality, you really do have no shot. So I, I hope they can give New England a game. Uh, I, I don't see it happening. As much as I would love to see, you know, gifs of Javian Clowney sacking Tom Brady four or five times after this, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Bill Belichick's going to let him beat them. So, I like New England. I don't know what else to say besides that, especially for Houston on offense. But if they if they can play a tough defensive game, if they get four or five sacks on Tom Brady, they can make this interesting. I don't think they win, but I think they can make it interesting. It's also an interesting jump in going from like an entry-level course in, in quarterbacks and Connor Cook to the graduate right. doctorate thesis in Tom Brady. I think it's going to be a little oh, harder. Oh, no, this is Professor Emeritus. This man, is, this man owns the school. <laughs> and, they own the, and they own the Texans, too. I mean, that's the thing. Right. You know, part of it, to get away from the game playing X's and O's, Ryan, I just wonder if Belichick has, like, a Jedi mind trick on all of his former assistants because he seemingly owns everything. I don't know if he's leaving something out. He's not telling them when they're there, but he's owned Bill O'Brien on all of his assistants. Oh, definitely, and I, and I definitely think, you know, if you want to draw the, the kung fu analogy, there there's some masters that will let their pupils get good enough to beat them. I don't think Bill Belichick is that type of master. <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. But, hey, you know what? This game is going to be about New England's passing offense, Ryan, because I think the thing that makes Belichick so good in that offense, McDaniels uh, as a great coordinator, is that they're able to take what they give you. And I think they understand that the Texans – who led the league this year in yards in defense yards, few yards against, they're able to bottle up the running game and the Garrett Blunt. So it will be on Brady, who's more than capable of doing it. And to me, Ryan, the question is, can Clowney and company get a pass rush? That's going to be the only thing that makes this game a game. Because I think we can talk about Brock Osweiler on the other side of the ball. He just can't throw the ball downfield. And the Patriots' defense, while not elite, I would say, is good enough to make life miserable. And they did that again, uh, they did that earlier this year against that same quarterback. So I think it's all going to be about the pass rush. That's the only thing that might keep this competitive. I'm not so sure that Houston is going to be able to stop New England from running the football, especially if they come out throwing early, because then all of a sudden you bounce. If they can't stop them from running the football, it's over. Well, and then I wonder, too, the Osweiler thing, Ryan, do you think that he might be playing for his future in Houston? I know he's won a playoff game, but is this it for him if he has another terrible performance? This is this is his first year in that deal, right? Yeah, yeah. It can't, I can't see it being his one and done. And, you know, and I, and I hate to draw this comparison, they gave $108 million to Jake Cutler, and he's still in Chicago. 
I just and I know this is a quarterback league, and I know that the comparison isn't exactly you know amazing. But was it eighty-two million dollars Osweiler got? It was seventy-two, and it was 72. like thirty-seven guaranteed. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't see like that, that. That's a marriage at that point. <laughs> so you you have to you give somebody eighty-two million dollars. Their first year, yeah, he's stunk it up pretty bad, but I can't see it being his last to go around. I mean, he's shell-shocked, and Cutler's a fair comparison, but I think he can do significantly more things than Osweiler, although his decision-making. Oh, but then again, we do live in a country where most marriages fail, so I think yeah. it's possible that it won't work here. And I think they're going to give him a chance, but if he has a bad game, if they get embarrassed, I don't know, maybe uh, Houston calls that other Texas franchise about a quarterback. Yeah, maybe might be. so. May be on the market, but I think we're both picking Patriots here. The only debate, Ryan, will be: Do they cover a 16-point spread? I actually think they do. I, I think they win this game going away. Yeah, I think they do too. And uh, it's just funny that the spread hasn't moved at all. I think they win this game running away too. I, I could see it easily being a two-touchdown lead going into halftime, and then it getting worse from there. So we're both on the Patriots, we're both on the Falcons. Now we get to Sunday, Money Mitch Effect with Ryan Souls, the Sunday NFL Divisional Round, and this is where it really gets good. You have two games that are as unpredictable as it gets. We'll start with the early game, the AFC game, Ryan, Chiefs hosting the Steelers. One of the closest lines I've seen in a very long time. It actually did open as a pick'em. The Chiefs are now one-and-a-half-point favorites, but as the team hosting... To only get one and a half points, it kind of tells you how close this game should be. And I'll just open with this, Ryan. Stylistically, I was looking forward to this game when the playoff schedule came out because I really want to see that Pittsburgh offense on the road versus that Kansas City Chiefs defense at Arrowhead. I think that's going to be uh, the matchup, like you said, Mitch, uh, because Kansas City has gamers at every level on that defense, from the line to the linebackers to the secondary, at multiple positions who can cover. And, you know, Antonio Brown is not going to have a cakewalk. Le'Veon Bell is not going to have a cakewalk. Ben Roethlisberger is not going to have a cakewalk. Um, and, and the offensive line is really going to have their work cut off for them with uh, Houston and uh, Thomas uh, Ali back. Yeah, yeah, I believe yeah. so. we got to double-check yeah, so that. Healthy, but, yeah. So they're going to have him, and not, not to mention Barry and Peters. So that, that's going to be a really interesting matchup. And I think the key... Pittsburgh got to try to score early and, yeah. and, and often if they can because they, they got to try to set a tone because if, if Kansas City can settle in to that game at home, it is going to be tough sled. So Pittsburgh went for the kill against Miami early and it worked. I don't know that they can do that against Kansas City, but it's worth trying to be aggressive. And mm-hmm. I just want to give credit to the Chiefs defense first because while statistically you look at their yards allowed and you'll say, oh, middle of the pack defense, Brian, they tied for the most interceptions in the league with 18. And that's with the uh, with the Chargers, I believe. So they pick, you know, we know how loud it gets at Arrowhead. We know how good that secondary is. Marcus Peters, one of the most underrated corners in football. Eric Berry having a sensational year. They now have those edge rushers. It gets loud. It gets crazy. And you know, Ryan, that Ben Roethlisberger, as great as he's been at home, his road splits this year, it's like a different quarterback. I mean, you could just look at the stats, 9-8 and eight on the road. Touchdown interceptions, the twenty and five at home. It's just right. it's staggering. It is, it is, and like you said, it's two different people, and I really don't know what to make of it. But he's gonna have to have a good game, uh, not necessarily a great game because of the weapons they have, but he's gonna have to have a good game for them. 
Well, and I look too, Ryan, at Le'Veon Bell, because what he's doing right now is some of the best stretch of running back football I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And you look at his last seven games. I saw this stat that's interesting. In seven games, he's got over 1,000 yards, his last seven. To put that into perspective, Emmett Smith never had a stretch longer than 860 yards in seven games. So wow. I, it's, it, it's new. It's a different style that's catching people off guard. But, and that's why I'm so fascinated by who has the lead in this game. Because whoever has the lead, whether it's Pittsburgh, Kansas City early, if they get up by double digits, they can start deploying that run the ball, eat up clock, and keep the other team from coming back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really solid strategy. And I think the key to this game is going to be letting out Bell because you can flex him at so many different positions. You can, and I do think that Brown-Peters is going to be quite the battle with Barry helping over the top, but Bell is the one guy, as great as Antonio Brown is. I think if you try to limit Bell, I think that's your best chance to take him out of the game and turn Big Ben into a guy that has to throw every down because he will throw picks. He's done it all year on the road, averaging one a game. Yeah, I'll ask you this, though. You put Le'Veon Bell out at right receiver. You have to bring a corner or safety down to cover him. No linebacker is going to cover him. Well, he runs way too good of routes. That's the other thing. I mean, he runs routes like a receiver. It's just, it's too tough. It's too tough to match up. But Pittsburgh's not perfect, and that's what makes this game so intriguing is that they have shown areas of weakness this year. But Ryan, on the other side of the ball, Kansas City, Andy Reid, Alex Smith, both not known as dynamic, you know, figures in football, not flashy by any means. But even without Jamal Charles, you have Spencer Ware, you have Tarkandrick West, you have now Tyreek Hill. They got some weapons there, Travis Kelsey, Jeremy Macklin yeah, as well. This is as, this is as dynamic as that offense has looked. Absolutely, and I think for Andy Reid's West Coast system, I think this is ideal. Multiple <laughs> weapons, guys, you can really spread it out to multiple targets you have to focus on. And that's what makes them dangerous. And I think for their side, for their offensive side of the football, Alex Smith might have to take a few chances here uh, in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if just marching up and down the field with dink and dunk passes, so to speak, is going to win it if you get down early. Right. We saw that last year when they played the Patriots, when they got down early and they just couldn't score enough points fast enough to get back into the game. And that may be what happens here if they fail. But last year they didn't have Tyreek Hill. Last year Macklin was hurt. You know, he was banged up. I think they got... And then Kelsey is getting even better, first-team all-pro tight end. I'm just intrigued by how this goes, and I think part of it, too, Ryan, is how different these teams are. Stylistically, they're different in just about every way, but here they are playing on one of the biggest stages to get to a conference championship game. It's going to be a great game, I think. It could be potentially the game of the weekend. Yeah, we got a lot of candidates this week, but that's right at the top of the list. I am going to go with the Chiefs here. Maybe I'm biased against my hatred of the Steelers, but I do think they're the more complete team, and I do think that being in Arrowhead is ultimately the difference. I think they are one of the few the few true home advantages is Arrowhead, and I think Kansas City wins a close one. I'll say 26-24. Okay, and I had 27-24 Pittsburgh. Oh, there we are. I, I love Kansas City at home. I just think Pittsburgh is a more proven team for this type of year. I think, not not that Andy Reid hasn't been there before, but I think Tomlin knows how to get his team ready for playoff matchups. I think Big Ben plays better in the playoffs. 
and I think this team is just so dynamic, and I, I think it's going to be close on 27-24 Pittsburgh. Well, we're, you're really trying to get me to not watch the AFC Championship game if it's Steelers <laughs> and Patriots again. That's uh, about as bad as it could get for me, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, I didn't read any stories about any Steelers players partying in Miami this week with Justin Bieber, so... You might be right in your you might be right in your prediction. One last game, the final game of the divisional round, Sunday afternoon, Ryan. It's the Packers going to Dallas, going to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. And I mean from a rating standpoint, I don't think the NFL could have struck gold any bigger than this game. The stakes riding on it. You have the Cowboys resurgent top seed in the NFC. And they're playing the baddest quarterback on the planet right now, Aaron Rodgers, who's won seven straight games. Looking at it from the outside in, Ryan, as a guy that grew up in Dallas and knows how big the Cowboys are and how big these playoff games are, what's going to be the key of the game for you? What's the one thing you're going to look at most closely going into it? I think the key is can the Dallas Cowboys continue to maintain their brand of football that they've played all year? Can they play keep away? Can they punch you in the mouth with Ezekiel Elliott in that offensive line? And can Dak make the, the few throws that he needs to make with limited turnovers? And if they do that, I think they can be fine. Um, the biggest thing is they have to continue to play their brand of football. If they get out of character and try to get in a throwing match with Aaron Rodgers yeah. and abandon Ezekiel Elliott or anything, I think that that's just a recipe for disaster. If uh, Jerry Jones, I expect him on the sidelines for this type of game. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he comes down and uh, puts uh, Tony Romo in the game. That's how they lose too. So you you just you gotta just stay to who you are. Keep the ball away from Aaron Rodgers, and there's no better way to do that with Ezekiel Elliott. Not to mention Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden back there too. These running backs get 30, 35. Even 40 carries between them all could be a good day for Dallas. So here's my big thing about this game, and there's so much to like, and we're going to get into as much of it as we can in the next couple minutes, Ryan, but the Elliott factor. Because if you look at what Green Bay's done, an unbelievable seven-game winning streak, and I just looked at their schedule the other day just to kind of relive it, they didn't really play any great running backs. There wasn't a runner on there where they had to deal with somebody that could chew up yards, wear them out, and keep the offense, the opposing offense, on the field. Now you have that in Elliott, so that's a big a big chess match there. Can Clay Matthews, can Jake Ryan, can those guys stop the run? A running back that's had one of the best rookie seasons ever. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with Dak. He's played smart. He has a grasp on things. He's very calm. Well, the moment's risen now. This is not week five, a game where it'd be nice to win, but we'll be okay if we don't. They have to have it. It's winner go home. And this is why I always don't think these games end up being the most crisp game plays. It's going to be chaotic. There's going to be mistakes. And ultimately, I think it's going to come down to a few plays that if Dallas executes, you know, why can't they win? The talent that they have, I think they're definitely in play to win this and go much further. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Dallas continues to play their brand of football, there's no reason they shouldn't get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, but you look and, at and it. And you know how bad it hurts me to say that. <laughs> so it has, it has to be true because... That literally, that was gut-wrenching. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> Cowboys, Steelers, man, if that's the Super Bowl, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, oh, but we're going to have to. Patriots. Yeah, that's, that's probably your worst nightmare. You, you know that opening scene of <laughs> Dark Knight Rises? 
where oh, uh, Brian yeah. Ward catches the kickoff and the, the whole the hole opens up and all the teams fall in. That's that was awesome. What to happen? That was my and, favorite uh, part of the movie. Yeah, Pittsburgh. If, if Cowboys <laughs> and the Patriots play in the Super Bowl, that's what I want to happen. That was definitely my favorite part of that movie is when it happened in Pittsburgh. But from the other side of the perspective, you have the Green Bay offense that's rolling right now. Ty Montgomery at running back is playing pretty well. Rodgers, we can sing his praises all the time. He's got the best deep ball in the league. But Jordy Nelson's status, that could be bigger than it looks. I know Rodgers was superhuman. Cobb and Adams got going. But I think this is a perfect game for him if he is healthy because the one area where we've questioned the Dallas defense is on that back end, and nobody has been better at catching the deep ball this year than Jordy Nelson. And I think having Jordy, like you mentioned, the back end, it means that now – you have to play him a little more straight up. You can't focus your attention on Cobb. You can't focus your attention the other way. If, if, if Nelson's on the field, you have to play him a little more straight up, or you double Nelson, which now it's going to leave Cobb free. So, and I think any more distractions they can put on the field for that weakened secondary in Dallas, I think is better. Fair, fair is better for the pack. Yeah, I look at Rodgers, though, and what he's done, and I think as I spoke with somebody earlier this week on the show, Ryan, Dallas is, and this is why it's going to be such a great game to watch on TV as well, they're never going to feel comfortable until the clock's hit zeros with Rodgers. I mean, how could you? I mean, the guy can, you know, the guy can just put up points left and right. Turnover battle, we talk about that all the time. Rodgers has been, been flawless in that regard, but I wouldn't undersell Dak and Elliott for being young kids, not turning the ball over. It just comes back to the, the resounding question, Ryan. As good as they've looked, as good as they've played on the field consistently, can we really trust two kids to go all the way? Right. I mean, that, that, that's a huge, huge question, and I think no one really knows. I think I, I would trust Zeke a little more than I would trust Dak just because it's a quarterback and it's the playoffs. The running back is just a little more consistent. You, your job is a little easier, so to speak. But... I think these, obviously, they've shown that these are two different kids. If they just continue to play their brand of football, I think they'll be fine. Very well could be the case. All right, now it's time to make the pick. Cowboys are four-point favorites. I'm going to go Dallas by three wins this game. I just think the Green Bay secondary, not the best. Eli had some chances last week, couldn't really take advantage of them. A couple of drops by Odell. I think this could be a big Des game, and, and don't look, don't underestimate the role receivers, the Wittens, the Williams, the Beasleys. I like Dallas to win this game. I'll say 30-27. So you alluded to bias with your Pittsburgh pick. I'm conceding bias <laughs> with my Green Bay pick. I okay. cannot pick the Cowboys. Yeah. I just can't. I think this is going to be a really close game. I think if you come down to the, the final possession. But being obje- as objective as I can, I've ne- I haven't seen anything like Aaron Rodgers this year and really maybe any other year. This is just incredible the way he's playing. I think if Jordy if Jordy goes, I would pick them I would pick them a hundred percent. Okay. Um, but but I'm teetering a little bit. I'm gonna pick Green Bay by a point. Wow. By one point. So I'm assuming that Rodgers has the ball last. I think so. <laughs> I think he's gonna have the ball last. Yeah. Well hey, I'm excited for it too. This is the game that it's all building towards this week. Green Bay's had those last games, and the winner of this game 
man, I mean, Green Bay beats Dingo Giants Dallas back to back. Good gracious, but hey. Oh, and then, and then how about Aaron Rodgers guarantee? You know, we'll just run the table. Where 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 will that happen? <laughs> or if they make it to the Super Bowl? Oh man, that is yeah. Wow. Well, hey, he's already won one Super Bowl in Texas, so he's trying to do another one. All right. Mm-hmm. We got to talk now before I let you go, Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. The NFL Hall of Fame finalists came out, and this is as good a time as ever. We've always, dating back to college, Ryan, we'd always go over who we thought should be in. And I should point out, it's not so much who we thought should be in, but who we thought should get in on the current vote. Because if you're in the finals, I think you're pretty much a Hall of Famer, and you will get in eventually. But we're looking at it now 15 finalists, 15 finalists in the in the traditional sense. I'll read those names now, and then we can kind of go over what we think, who we think belongs in there. Now, this is not including senior members. These are just the normal finalists. We have Brian Dawkins, Jason Taylor, LaDainian Tomlinson, Morton Anderson, Don Coriel, who was a coach for the St. Louis Cardinals and San Diego Chargers, Kurt Warner, Rell Davis, Isaac Bruce, Terrell Owens, Tony Baselli, Alan Fanica, Joe Jacoby, Ty Law, John Lynch, and Kevin Malay. So that's 15 names, Ryan, and we don't know exactly how many will be inducted. They they do cap it off. I think eight or so is the most. We'll say six. Six has been the standard conservative uh, guess of how many get inducted. So with that in mind, Ryan, if you had to pick six of these names, who would it be? And you could start with the guy that you're the guy or guys that you're most confident in. Okay, so most confident, and I think really the only two locks to me out of this class, but the number one lock, and no question of LaDainian Tomlinson. Okay, I'll, I'll um, say I'll agree with you on Tomlinson. No I don't have question. any other locks, but yes, it, he is a lock. Yeah, to me, I think Terrell Davis belongs just on his postseason rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask this. Are we picking who we think, or are we thinking picking who we think the committee is going to pick? Yeah, we're gonna guess the picks. That's the because honestly, they're all pretty much Hall of Famers. I think okay, it, ninety to ninety-five percent of the guys I just named will be in the Hall of Fame one day. Okay, so if we're gonna guess the okay, so we got LT, we got Terrell Davis, Brian Dawkins. I like John Lynch finally getting in. Also, that's four. You, you're running out of spots. I'll say this, though. There's not as much duplication. You've named two running backs and two safeties. So that could yeah. be something to think about. Absolutely. You're right. You're right there. And there isn't a lot of duplication. It's just... It's hard for me to to lean... Because I was looking at Alan Fanica as well. You look at what he... With mm-hmm. the record, you know, the numbers he put up. Uh, he definitely gets in there for me. Okay. Then, One more. That's five. Yeah. One more. Kurt, maybe? Okay, third time's a charm. So that's it then. Now you have no receivers. Yeah, because I don't think they're going to pick. I don't think they're going to pick Terrell Owens. Wow. I just don't. To me, with his resume, if he's not a first-year Hall of Famer, he ain't getting in for a while. I just don't see it. I mean, I I think they're going to do what they did to Charles Haley. I think they're going to do what they did to Ray Guy, to Art Monk, to... I, I, I just think that's what's going to happen to Terrell Owens, and I think it's sad. I hope I'm wrong, but I just think that's what's going to happen. So I'm going to say a couple things to kind of digest there. 
I don't know if Tio got snubbed necessarily. I mean, in the true sense he did. But mm-hmm. was it him getting snubbed because they want to make him wait? Or was it the way the game works, the way the receivers were backlogged? You had a guy like Marvin Harrison who you could have said should have been in earlier and he had been waiting longer. Maybe but, it was but, but you, you can't put up, besides maybe Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, there's no other numbers you can put up next to Terrell Owens and not say he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right, and, no. And, 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 that's, and that's my problem. I'm with you there. I, I, I don't care who was waiting. <laughs> His resume is still better than Mark. Yeah, it is. Uh, I do think this year, I'll say LT gets in. That's, that's a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm what the guy did. I mean, he was the best back in football, all-purpose, you name it. So, so good. I'll say T.O. gets in. I'm going to go on record as saying this, that he will get in. Mitch, and, I hope you're right. You know I love T.O. So I know. I, I, right. I know. I think T.O. gets in this year. I agree with you on Kurt Warner. I think now's the time. You know, he had the quarterback problem last year with Favre up, so I think Warner gets in this year. Just kind of looking at it, Ryan, I don't think two safeties get in. So I'm going to say Lynch over Dawkins. I know it pains you as an Eagles guy, but Dawkins really will... though, because John Lynch was incredible. And I yeah, think it is way. One on either. You, put, you put John Lynch in Philly, or you put Brian Dawkins in Tampa Bay or Denver, and I think you see similar sheets. So he's weighted. I think he'll get in, and I, I think you're right there. So that's four. Now, huh, man, this is where it gets really tough here, because the one guy that I think that will get in is going to be a guy that we don't talk about too much, we haven't really talked about, but I think Don Coriel is going to get in, the coach. I think what what he meant for football, and this is for our younger listeners that might not know, but he was one of the revolutionary spread offense guys. Absolutely. So I think this is the year he gets in. I think he was another guy that should have been in before. Now, this is where I'm going to say what I want to happen versus what I think is going to happen. I don't think Terrell Davis gets in this year. I'm unfortunate. The running back in front of him, I think he should have been in a long time ago. I think he should have got in before Jerome Bettis. He was another guy who was the best player in football by far, still had their best running back. And I think his playoff average speaks for itself, over 140 yards a game. I mean, that's just ludicrous. But with that in mind, I'm going to say they show love to the big guys up front. And I'll say Jacoby for the Redskins. He was a part of those Hog Championships. He was. He and was. I think he's the guy that gets in first. It's tough to me. I would say pretty confidently, though, that Taylor is going to have to wait. Jason Taylor, Morton Anderson, there's not really a spot for him yet this year. One of the safeties, Ty Law, Isaac Bruce, great players. They're probably going to be waiting a while. And Kevin Mawai and Alan Fanica, you know, Baselli as well. So I, I think we have 15 finalists, Ryan. But I think realistically, five of those aren't going to make it, and you have about ten fighting for about six spots. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always tough, and you know you're always happy for the guys that make it, and sad for the guys who don't. But you know, after it gets announced, and you just look forward to the speeches and the laughs and etc. So it's always an exciting time of year. Right. We don't agree with the process. It's just how it works. You know, it's right, how absolutely. how the names get selected and. It could be worse. It could be the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is even even more god-awful than this one, but in the selection let, process. But Let me ask you this, though. Why do you honestly think the committee would put Terrell Owens in? I think, Especially when a lot of the committees made a media. Right. I think they're very big on waiting, waiting your turn, waiting for the guy in front of you to open up a spot. And I just think that Marvin, while he isn't T.O., had a Hall of Fame resume, waited a few years, 
part of it might have been getting Marvin in with Tony Dungy in the same class. I think this okay. could be the year for T.O. Now, if he waits this year, yeah, I'm going to rethink my whole T.O. thought process strategy. But hey, and then the last thing, Ryan, is the senior member nominees, Paul Tagliabue and Jerry Jones. So imagine a, a summer of Jerry if if they win the Super Bowl and he's a Hall of Famer. Jerry Jones will be wearing a mink coat in Dallas in the summertime if they win, looking like Frank Lucas. Man, this, this, this will be ridiculous for Jerry Jones. I, I would not want to be in Dallas. <laughs> no. If they win the Super Bowl, he goes into the Hall of Fame. Oh, man. Gold, Jerry Jones might have an actual gold jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a lot of gold. I just don't know yeah, where or what. A lot of gold. A lot of gold. But, all right, Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, Happy New Year. It's been the first first show of 2017 with you, and it was a good one. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Happy New Year. And uh, looking forward to the next one. Special thanks to Ryan Souls, also Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg. Thank you for coming on the podcast and talking football with me. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Just search Money Mitch Effect and you, you know what's up. It'll be right there. Also follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for sports and other daily takes. We have one more show this week. I know this is dropping on Thursday, but I have a surprise for you this weekend. How about a little Australian Open preview? A tennis-related podcast. That's what's next on tap. George Pinozian's coming back. Got some special guests as well. We're going to go preview the action down under in Australia. Men and women's tournaments there should be good. Thanks again for listening. As always, we're 47 episodes deep in the game, and we're not stopping here. We're only going to go faster, further, and farther. Mitch Michael signing off. Thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Keep watching sports.